The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. The Writer Files is brought to you by Studio Press, the industry standard for premium WordPress themes and plugins. Built on the Genesis framework, Studio Press delivers state-of-the-art SEO tools, beautiful and fully responsive design, airtight security, instant updates, and much more. If you're ready to take your WordPress site to the next level, see for yourself why over 177,000 website owners trust Studio Press. Go to rainmaker.fm slash studiopress right now. That's rainmaker.fm slash studiopress. These are the writer files. A tour of the habits, habitats, and brains of working writers. From online content creators to fictionists, journalists, entrepreneurs, and beyond. I'm your host, Calvin Reed writer, podcaster, and mediophile. And each week, we'll discover how great writers keep the ink flowing, the cursor moving, and avoid writer's block. New York Magazine's Ask Polly advice columnist, Heather Haverleski, stopped by the show to chat with me about her process and the many hats she's worn over her 20-year career as a critic, cartoonist, columnist, and essayist. The author's new book, How to Be a Person in the World, Ask Polly's Guide Through the Paradoxes of Modern Life, is a collection inspired by her popular advice column. Best-selling author and comedian Patton Oswalt said about the author, a rare writer who can dish out tangy snark but never fails to aim the knife back at her own damaged, hilarious heart. And he called the book Required Reading. In addition to her bestseller list column for Book Forum, Heather's the author of the memoir Disaster Preparedness and was Salon.com's TV critic for seven years. Her writing has appeared in The New Yorker, The New York Times Magazine, The LA Times, Slate, The All, NPR's All Things Considered, and several anthologies. Join us for this two-part interview, and if you're a fan of the show, please click the subscribe button to automatically see new interviews with your favorite authors and help other writers to find us. In part one of the file, Heather and I discuss why you should never give up your dreams of being a writer, how to embrace the scribe's daily descent into madness, why you need to find your most productive hours, how a daily writing exercise helps you hit deadlines, and how to turn off your inner critic and get in shape at the same time. And we are rolling on the writer files today with author extraordinaire Heather Haverleski. Am I saying that correctly? 
Oh yeah. Perfect. Cool. Cool. Thanks so much for agreeing to pop on and, uh, let me pick your brain a little bit about your process. I'm, uh, I'm a big fan of your writing and, uh, can't wait to kind of get into your process. Oh, thank you. I'm happy to be here and excited to talk about my terrible process. (laughs) (laughs) Um, every it's cool because every writer's process is so different. And, uh, I sometimes feel like authors come on here with an idea of maybe what they should say, like to, to fellow writers or, you know, uh, aspiring writers. And it's, it's just cool that everyone has a completely different take on stuff. Yeah. I like to hear people talk. I mean, I think because the struggle to write is such a real struggle that it's always soothing to hear how other people, um, you know, skin that cat (laughs) over and over again, somehow magically. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I like the, f- the failures as much as the successes, but, uh, you've had a ton of success. Have you been around do, I mean, you've been a full-time professional writer for, I take it two decades now. So I started, uh, I started writing, um, a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So for listeners who might not be familiar with your, your kind of origins as a writer, where, where did you launch? I was in San Francisco, and I had a, a series of sort of um, not great, I mean, perfectly reasonable, but not exciting jobs doing various kinds of tasks. I was a temp for a while. It was 1992 when I graduated from college, um, and I had moved from my hometown of Durham, North Carolina, across the country to San Francisco, and I was, um, I, I, basically had no real job prospects. Um, we were in the middle of a recession, uh, California, I think in North Carolina, things were okay, but in California, it was sort of the tail end of the recession. Hmm. So everyone I knew got jobs as temps and I did that too. Uh, and so I was a temp and then for a while I worked in, um, someone's office as a, um, a tech, I worked for a technical writer at the time they called typing for someone desktop publishing, <laughs> uh-huh. um, which makes it sound, you know, a little more respectable than just typing things that other people <laughs> want you to type. But I was basically a typist. Um, I did learn to type better than I had been able to before, but basically I went out one night and, uh, I was, uh, looking to change everything because I had no direction and wasn't sure what I wanted to do with my life. And, uh, my, a friend of mine, uh, a friend of a friend's was an editor at a magazine and I asked him if he was hiring any interns and he said, um, oh yeah, my intern just left today. She just quit today. Um, so that was just good luck. Uh, the magazine was the red herring. It was like a, um, kind of an investment magazine for er- like an early Silicon Valley investment magazine. Mm. Um, it was mostly, uh, concerned with IPOs and, uh, venture capitalism and, and, and I, my job as an intern was to, um, crunch the numbers on various stocks. And then those numbers would be printed in the magazine a week later (laughs) (laughs) because, you know, you couldn't just go online and find stock prices within three seconds. Yeah. So anyway, I had that internship and then, um, my dad died. I was 25 years old. Um, and after I went home to North Carolina for about two months, and after that, I came back to the internship and I said, well, I'm, uh, I'm not going to be doing stock price crunching anymore. I'm just going to write. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and luckily, my boss was a really nice person and felt bad for me because 
my dad had just died, um, and he let me write some things. So I actually had a few writing samples, um, and then I also told him, I'm just going to look at stuff online all the time, uh, all day long, because the internet was just starting to um, have things on it. The browser, uh, <laughs> the Netscape browser had just been created, and, uh, and so I started looking around, and I found this magazine, this online website called suck.com <laughs> that was very snarky and strange and interesting, and I loved it. The voice was so very specific and a little bit superior in ways that I, you know, I was like a dog <laughs> responding to a certain tone and salivating. Um, and so they were hiring, uh, after a few months, they were hiring a copy editor and I applied and they hired me as an assistant editor, but really, um, I was also writing for them immediately. And, um, and I started to collaborate with the illustrator they hired and I started to write cartoons so, and it was very popular at, for, you know, for the web at the time, it was very, very popular. There weren't that many people online at that point. Yeah. Um, so, um, it was actually kind of popular by today's standards. Like most of the stuff I do gets about around the same number. So it's kind of interesting. <laughs> like, it's like I have a, a set number of humans that I can attract to my in, insane writing. That was the, um, uh, the filler. Yeah. I wrote yeah. a cartoon called filler and, uh, it was kind of mostly about dot com culture. Um, but the, the, the short story is I landed the right place at the right time and I was very, very lucky and I was writing cartoons. I mean, I did turn to the illustrator and say, we should write cartoons. <laughs> um, but he just happened to be brilliantly good at drawing cartoons and we had a great collaboration. So that lasted for five years. Um, and then the dot-com bubble burst and I didn't have any job at all. Uh, suck went under suck.com went under and uh and then i was just a, a human being who w knew how to write cartoons but couldn't draw <laughs> <laughs> so i had to pick up new skills um so then i uh i basically watched a ton of tv at the time by then i'd moved to los angeles and a lot of people down here were already watching the too much tv that we all now watch mm -hmm. world um and uh, I started writing TV stuff for Salon and became their TV critic in 2003. Um, and I did that for seven years. Um, and that was a great job. Yeah. Uh, I loved it. I watched tons of great TV. It was kind of the beginning of the great TV. And there was also a lot of terrible TV on at the time, like good, terrible, uh, <laughs> bad reality TV shows that were just hilarious and strange. Right, right. Um, and then uh, at some point I got tired of watching, you know, tons and tons and tons of TV and always writing about TV. I left Salon and I went freelance and, uh, you know, I've been writing freelance ever since and it's been great. Yeah. It's allowed me to branch out a lot into different kinds of writing. So now my main kind of writing that I, well, okay, I write book reviews for Book Forum. Right. I, write about culture at large for a lot of different places. I write personal essays. I've always written personal essays um, since the very beginning. And um, I wrote a memoir in 2011 called Disaster Preparedness. And now I also have an advice column for New York Magazine's The Cut, which I write every week. And I'm, uh, I have a new book coming out called How to Be a Person in the World, which is a collection of new advice columns. Um, and then a few classic, old classics. I've been doing that since um, 2012. 
So yeah, I'm kind of a, a <laughs> I'm a jack of all trades, <laughs> jackass of all trades, if you prefer. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot of stuff. Author, columnist, cartoonist. Uh, yeah, I've had to ado- adapt to ever changing times. I'm a I'm a very good example of someone who um, never gives up and continues to define herself as a writer, no matter what anyone else is saying about her. Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow, mercy is the bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction. And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. So cool. It's so cool to see. Well, the book is, is fantastic. I got a, uh, a, a peek at it and, um, it's great. It's it's so it's a collection of kind of these diverse columns that you've written over the years for Ask Polly. Mm-hmm. Um, these yeah, these but very... they're new. They're all new. I wrote basically two books worth of new columns, and then I chose the best ones. Um, and then there are six of the columns are old, like form already published things that people may have read before. Yeah, but everything yeah. else is new. Yeah, oh, that's great. Well, it's a lot of fun, and it's wry, earnest, heartfelt, sometimes sacrilegious. Um, I don't know if you would use that term, blasphemous, cynical sure. at times, sometimes, uh, yes. but mostly hopeful and, and uh, pretty fun, pretty fun writing to read. So uh, uh, congratulations on that. That's, that's great. Thanks. Thanks. I loved writing it. It was, uh, it was really satisfying to write. Um, and you, you've, you've written for a lot of like marquee, marquee um uh, publications as well, including New Yorker, uh, New York Times Magazine, and uh, your current position, which is cool. So there's lots of places to find you out there, which is uh, great. Yeah, my my writing is scattered to the wind all over the place. <laughs> it's you can everywhere. Read, you can read, <laughs> yes, it really is. I, I, you can read my stuff for free <laughs> in any number of places. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and I've been doing it for 20 years, so there's stuff that I wrote when I was, you know, 25 still floating around on the web. 
Well, one of my favorites is, and I'll link to it in the show notes, is the uh, how to write uh, in that writer's life um, section of the all. So I'll link to that one. Uh, it's a lot of fun to read. And it is kind of the, um, as we get into your productivity and your, your uh, process a little bit, it's kind of the epitome of uh, procrastination in a, in a very creative way. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> That piece came out of, a, a, I was teaching a class at CalArts um, on criticism, cultural criticism, and um, a student of mine emailed me and said, hey, maybe you could tell us a little bit about your, your schedule and how you manage yourself as a writer for the last class, because I think that would really help us if we're <laughs> thinking about you know becoming freelance writers. And I started to think about it, and I just had this feeling of dread, uh, <laughs> like how can I possibly describe how terrible my habits are and how bad my writing life is and how ridiculously <laughs> conflicted I am at all times. Yeah. Um, and at the time I was, I guess, you know, I had been writing for the New York times magazine. It was drying up a little bit. It was a really popular column that a lot of different people wanted to write. So I, w I was having trouble getting my editor's attention and I didn't have a lot of other gigs uh, at the same time, I think I was already writing my advice column for the all. So I had that and I loved it, but I sort of wasn't making enough money at the time. I was sort of in a lull. Um, and I did really, so I started to write, I started to write my actual, I had, I had gotten up kind of early. I think I actually did wake up that morning because I heard my dog gulping and I thought she might be dying of something. I have <laughs> the old, <laughs> old dogs. Um, and so I, I was like, I'm just going to write down exactly what my schedule is. Yeah. Uh, and it was, it just turned into this tragic, hilarious thing that I, I shouldn't say hilarious. That's terrible when a writer's like, I wrote this hilarious thing. <laughs> but it was, you know, it was funny because it was so, um, it's almost like I, 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 you know, I've always written kind of very honest stuff, but that piece kind of showed me how enjoyable and richly rewarding it can be to sort of be b just brutal about yourself. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that it's, I'm not, everyone is necessarily that interested in that or that up for it. But, um, for me, it's sort of like my favorite, it's my favorite thing to do. You know? <laughs> yeah. Just like really just look at what a ridiculous loser I am up close <laughs> and personal. I sound, I'm, I'm making it sound terrible, but I love that piece. It's one of my favorite things that I've ever written. Oh, good, good. It's so good. Descent into the madness of trying to write every day. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll definitely link to that one, and and uh, writers uh, should seek that one out because it's it is um, a crack up, and it's a great, great. Uh, and there's some great advice in there. In fact, I'll quote one uh, in there: "Writers write, and if you're not writing, you're not a writer." So, uh, yeah, that was, that, that was is true, gems. but you'll notice that <laughs> during <laughs> that day, I basically don't write a single word. Right. <laughs> and yet you I'm got this rolling long form, uh, TLDR piece. Yes. Here. <laughs> well, you know, you, the, the thing is, that's what you, you can walk around being arrogant about how you're a writer. Like, yeah, writer's right. I write and write. You know what, kids, you got to write. And then you, you have a few days where you're just like, Jesus Christ, I'm such a hypocrite. Yes, I can't, yes. you know, I'm, I'm some, some days I'm like literally tweeting advice to freelance writers about how you get her done and <laughs> rule the world and nothing of my own gets written at all. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do feel like I get into the flow of writing much more easily than I used to. 
and and part of that um i mean if you're if you're interested if you're ready to hear about my terrible tips now that we've discredited <laughs> completely <laughs> No, no, no. Your Twitter feed is is a veritable uh, buffet of uh, fun and writing tips and uh, lots of cool back and forth. But yeah, let's talk about your productivity. So before you, Heather Haverleski, sit down to write and actually bang out, you know, the column or whatever you're working on, do you have any pregame rituals? You crack your knuckles, make some coffee. I do not crack my knuckles. I think cracking <laughs> your knuckles is gross. Um, I usually get up. Uh, early if I really want to get anything done. Anytime that I have like a very pressing, terrible deadline, like I've read two really long books that I barely understand and I need to (laughs) review them for book forum, for example. Um, I, uh, I just, I never try to take that on even at any hour past, like, I don't know, 10 AM because I can't, I just can't do it you know, especially something about, I don't know, almost, you know, there are things that are, are, that I can write. I can write my advice column past 10 AM, but, um, but basically I just, uh, I kind of, my, my whole schedule is just about you, you got to use those prime hours when your brain is functioning Mm -hmm. really well. And for me, it's, that means, um, 5 AM to 10 AM. Wow. Now, unfortunately, uh, my schedule is such that I cannot, uh, I don't really have those hours free all the time. My kids, uh, I have my kids three days a week. I mean, whatever. I, I, my husband and I are together, but I'm in charge of getting the kids to school three <laughs> days a week. Mm-hmm. So it's like right in the middle of my most productive time. I've got to make lunches and be a mother and, you know, haul my ass to school. All, all, all of our asses to school. So, um, so the, you know, that's kind of forced my schedule earlier because if I don't write before I have to do all that stuff, I, I kind of come back and I'm too relaxed and things don't happen. So I try to get up at five and write for two hours before the kids wake up. Nice. Nice. Um, but, but yeah, my main thing is just utilize the, the time, the, the kind of block of time that, you know that your brain works, especially I'm 45 years old. Um, my brain is not as, I I don't know. I kind of feel like when it's working, it's better than it ever has been. But when it's not working, it's like, it's pointless (laughs) to even try to do anything, but you know, play candy crush or stare at the wall. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So yeah, it's, it, for me, it's kind of all about getting, uh, accessing those hours and then trying to get into the zone quickly. And if there's flow, just go with the flow, no matter what kind of madness you're writing. Um, you know, I find it that the more deadlines I take on, the better my writing flow is actually. Mm. So Mm -hmm. having a weekly column really helps there. I think that people who have giant projects hanging over their head and they just can't get in the flow and they're blocked a lot of that is just like you're not, you don't have a daily writing exercise. You know, it's just like any other kind of exercise. If you're not kind of limber enough, you're not going to be able to, it's going to feel like you don't even know how to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you're working on multiple deadlines. And uh, when you're, when you don't have multiple deadlines, when you just have the week, do you take, do you take days off? Uh, do you take weeks off? Um, I take weeks off 
a few times a year. I go to the beach one week. I usually take a week off at Christmas. I don't take weeks off that often. Um, I take days off sometimes. The problem for me is that uh, I kind of, it's a problem and it's kind of a gift. I really like to have written every day. I just like the feeling of having written. Mm -hmm. So my ideal day always includes writing in the morning. Um, I just, it puts me in a great mood all day if I've actually gotten some work done and I liked what I wrote. Um, And also right now, um, I just have tons of deadlines. I just had, you know, my book is coming out in July. There's just a lot of stuff that has to be done. Um, I, it's like the, anyone who's published a book knows it's uh, one of the things you do to promote it is you, you know, try to write as much as you can for as many places as possible. Yeah. Um, you do the gauntlet. Yeah. You do the gauntlet and you just, you know, and it's, and it, I think it's crucial to kind of do that, especially well in advance of when the book, you don't want to be last minute, like worrying about writing things. <laughs> you know, right before you're possibly flying across the country to do an event or something. Sure, sure. Or even just like, you know, maybe your one event is in town. I don't mean to act like all books have events. (laughs) It's true. Who knows? This is not the case. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. As I know from my first book. So, um, (laughs) yeah. But I do think that, you know, I, I, whatever. I'm just juggling a lot. Right now. I'm juggling a lot right now. My mind is like a spaghetti. <laughs> well, uh, so you're definitely a morning writer and you're working on a lot of deadlines. Um, do you have an office or do you just kind of sprawl on the couch or? I have an office upstairs in my house. Um, it's sort of half office. Um, yeah, it's like, it's, it, it's a little bit scrappy, but yes, I have, I have a desk and a, a whole area. It's nice. But I also often um, sit in different places in the house. I sit in the living room sometimes. Sometimes I sit on my bed in the bedroom if I'm just feeling kind of weak. I have three dogs, so sometimes it's sort of dependent on where the dogs want to be. Just kind of follow them around. Sometimes I feel like I I do better if I'm sitting upright. Other times I want to kind of slouch. I think variety is good. I yeah. really want a, um, I really want a walking desk. Mm-hmm. It is probably just some bad overachiever in me that wants that, and I would never maybe use it. I don't know. Oh, like a treadmill desk? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. A standing desk does not appeal to me. That just sounds yeah. like pain. But yeah. Walk, if you could actually train yourself to walk and write, God, yeah. that would be just how virtuous would you feel? <laughs> Yeah, totally. I mean, there's got to be something to it. You know, walking, the walking thing is something that a lot of great writers have done and sworn by. And, uh-huh. But to, you to, combine to, it. To clear up their brains. Well, yeah. I run, walk or run with my dogs every day. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that is kind of like the break that I take in between writing. Get some exercise and, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Breathe the air and clear your mind. And I, you know, so often also, I mean, a lot of great writers have said this and I never really, I never really believed it. I was always like, yeah, you could, you know, you think of amazing ideas while you're walking. Sure. Great. Good for you, Hemingway or whatever. Um, but I actually do find now that if I focus while I'm walking, I mean, you know, you don't want to do this all the time. You don't want to make your walk suppressive, but I do think that if you, if I remember to, if I, especially if you have like a problem in a piece that you don't know how to solve, yeah. if you take it to the streets 
<laughs> yeah. yeah. Sometimes you kind of have a breakthrough because you're just, you know, your mind is working in new ways. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're in Los Angeles, so you have, you probably have that, um, nice thing where you can kind of get lost and, and, uh, I think you're in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. In, in other big cities, I find that, you know, when you're kind of walking the streets of wherever and there's, there's lots of people or lots of things going on, I don't know, it just, it does something. As opposed to maybe, I guess maybe there's something similar to being out in like pristine nature, or pristine wilderness. Um, yeah. Where things are like more foreign. I don't know. Yeah. Well, something, there's, something you know, different that. kinds of environments bring on a different state probably. Yeah. Yeah. Where I live, it's pretty, it's pretty mellow. And uh, it's nice because it's sort of just like, you know, big, wide sidewalks and mm-hmm. sun. And, you know, here it's like sunny constantly. Yeah. Um, it's dreadful. <laughs> it's dreadful. Well, I mean, you know, ask anyone who's lived here for a long time. We love rain so much. Not just yeah. for the good of the earth or whatever, but also just the variety. Oh, <laughs> I love it. I, it's gray days are just delicious. Yeah, yeah. Foggy days are kind of cool there. Oh, too. foggy! I used to I used to love fog when I lived in San Francisco. I was yeah. just in love with fog. After a while, you get over that, though, if you stay there long enough. Yeah, 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 for sure. It's beautiful, you know, but it's uh, it's uh, can be very oppressive when <laughs> you feel like you can't get warm for right. like five years of your life. Right, That's, right. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, Eddie Izzard's uh, "Dress to Kill" um, special, but he has a great a great bit on the. The fog in San Francisco. Oh no, I have to find that. That's probably right at my. House. <laughs> um, so, do you stick on headphones while you're writing, or do you, are you a silence? Uh, yeah, I listen to music uh, most of the time, um, and it it needs to be something that it, I've listened to uh, maybe like five or six times. Mm-hmm, yeah. I mean, sometimes I'll just, I just will like something a lot and I'll be like, I'm going to break this album and it's going to distract me, but I'm going to try really hard so it can be in my rotation. Yeah. Um, but I kind of like wall of sound sort of like for, I think I listened to the joy form. Do you know that band, the joy formidable? No, I'm not familiar. They're kind of, they almost have like a nineties sound, which dates me obviously, but, <laughs> uh, <laughs> they, it's sort of like a lots of like thick guitar sound. Cool. Kind of triumphant, a little mm-hmm, bit triumphant. Mm-hmm. That I love. I listen to them. I've I, and I go back to it all the time. I'm like I know what will make me finish this piece. Mm-hmm. Um, so you kind of have like your favorite background. Right now, I really like uh, Bjork's mm. uh, latest album. It's really sad sounding. <laughs> really, it's because it's about her breakup with her uh, husband. Yeah, it's so sad. But I, yeah, I you know I try to find something that kind of fits the mood. Like if I'm tr- if I'm writing my advice column and I'm I need to be sensitive to where someone is in their life, they're going through a struggle. I, I usually put on the Bjork, the sad hmm. Bjork. Hmm. And if cool. I'm writing something that's more like, you know, funny, it'll be something a little bit more upbeat and weird. Yeah, and I, yeah. and I do have some rap that I listen to while I write. And now, you know, if I listen to it enough, it blends into the background. But yeah, I feel like when you have that, there are times when you have that noise in your, in your ears and it sort of just helps to propel you along. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It yeah. distinguishes like, your your daily kind of non-writing moment from your writing. It's like, okay, the music's on. This is when I start typing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Happening now. I'm doing it. It's, it's electric. Yeah, it's good. Uh, cool. Well, um, all right. So the million-dollar question, 
Uh, do you believe in writer's block? I think you already answered this one, but. Uh, you know, uh, to me, I do, I do think that uh, it's very easy to be blocked as a writer. Um, I, I don't write fiction. I have written, I do have a draft of a novel that needs some work. Um, <laughs> but I, I found fiction writing extremely difficult and I can imagine uh, as a fiction writer being just so determinedly blocked. Um, with nonfiction, you can kind of, um, because it's, I don't know, I, for me anyway, you can sort of like always work yourself out of a blocked place as long as you just, but it kind of requires, um, rebuilding your faith and your, your conviction about the fact that you have something to add to the world mm. of words, you know, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. which is hard to do, can be very hard to do. And I think it's, if you are working, so I think it's very specifically difficult to have a giant project that's very hard to wrap your brain around and to organize, um, like either something that needs to be intricately plotted. I find oh, just surprise <laughs> just is frightening to me Yeah, or, or something that's just simply gigantic. Um, the nice thing about this book that I wrote is it's different columns that kind of fit together, but I know how to write, you know, a 3000 word column really well yeah. uh, already. So it was like easy to get in the flow of that. I think it's really hard to write a long, complicated chapter about something complex and to hold it all in your mind, um, to write a whole book. I don't know. I, I, I can understand. I, I kind of feel like when I talk about writer's block, it's maybe a little unfair because I write. I tend to write things that are a thousand to 2000 words, mm -hmm. you know, most of the time. So I'm sure to some people that just sounds like, ugh, who couldn't do that? That's easy. Yeah. Um, but I do think that the key, right. The center of writer's block is sort of this feeling of, uh, you know, this recurring message that you hear in your brain that says, I am terrible at this. <laughs> 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 I, you know, what am I, who am I trying to fool here? You know, which is I think it's just like, that's just a whole section of a, any writer's brain makes yeah. that sound. Um, the key is to kind of like address that sound, like hear it first of all, because sometimes you, you can't, you can't even hear that that's what is blocking you, that there's a voice that's saying that over and over again. And then to address it and say, no, 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 no. I am, you know, incredible full of wonderful words that people want to read. I mean, which you, you know, mm -hmm. it takes almost like a putting yourself in a trance. It, I mean, it's almost like its own bizarre, probably not very good for you religion to believe that <laughs> your words on the page matter. Um, but I do think that that's the, that's the way out. And I, I also believe very strongly that uh, exercise is one way out of it. If yeah. you're exercising an hour a day and you're doing things that are very difficult or just even a half an hour a day, like if you're pushing yourself um, beyond just a walk, like if you're doing strenuous exercise, it is very difficult to stay in a stuck place for very long. You mm. just feel like you're growing naturally when you, when you force yourself into that. It also makes, it also gives you something to um, dread and detest more than trying to write. Yeah. Which yeah. is important. You know, it's like as long as there's a greater <laughs> evil than facing the page, it makes facing the page a little easier. I like that. I like that. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think exercise is, uh, is a great, a great tool. And, you know, there's, there's all, I mean, you see probably 
more and more research every day on this and how it's, uh, you know, an antidepressant and mm-hmm. more effective than, than uh, pharmaceuticals and so on and so forth. But that's a, a good reminder. I'm not ambitious as a writer at all unless I'm exercising. I just And I'm also just depressed if I'm not exercising. I mean, I don't know. Obviously, um, there are people in the world who can't exercise at all, and that sucks. I can't, I, you know, my, my fear is... My greatest fear is probably like, you know, not being able to exercise because I know what my brain does when I can't exercise. It just eats itself until there is no brain left. (laughs) That would not be good for a writer. No. Thanks so much for joining us for this half of a tour of the writer's process. If you enjoy The Writer Files, please subscribe to the show and feel free to leave any comments or questions for us at writerfiles.fm. You can always chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Also, if you're looking for smarter ways to create and sell profitable digital goods and services, tune in to host Brian Clark and Jared Morris on the Digital Entrepreneur uh, show right here on Rainmaker FM, where you'll find the strategies and insights you need to start building your digital business the right way. Find that show at digitalentrepreneur.fm. That's digitalentrepreneur.fm. Cheers. Talk to you next week.